Well, as many of you are quarantined at home during the COVID-19 pandemic, many of you have busted out your power glove. So I'm going to tell you what, power glove up, because on this episode of the Saved by Nostalgia podcast, we are talking about the 1989 family film, The Wizard, and we're going to be doing it with two very special guests. Not only are we going to revisit this classic film, one of the ones that stands out as a, a huge moment in my childhood, but we're going to be bringing on two very special guests, including director of the film, Todd Holland, as well as actor Luke Edwards, who played Jimmy in this film. Uh, the Wizard is a 1989 American family film directed by Todd Holland, as we mentioned, written by David Chisholm, stars Fred Savage, Christian Slater, Jenny Lewis, Bo Bridges, and Luke Edwards. It's also Tobey Maguire's film debut. He has a cameo in this. Noah the Wizard brings back so many wonderful memories going back and watching it here as I've done on my brand new collector's edition Blu-ray, which just came in the mail from Amazon. Who said quarantining's a bad thing? Absolutely not when you get to watch great films like this and go back and just feel the nostalgia wash over you. I mean, just the whole premise of being on this grand adventure across the country, it just really spoke to me as a kid and seeing the lights of Las Vegas and the palm trees, the mountains as they're going through the desert, uh, the palm trees of Los Angeles, Universal Studios. I mean, just it was bright. It was vibrant. It was fun. It was adventurous. It just really spoke to me and kind of what I wanted to experience growing up. And I got to go uh, to Universal Studios as a kid and just, but it was with the family. Like I just tried to imagine just being a kid and going out with a, one of my good friends or my brothers just kind of across the country. And of course that couldn't happen just as little kids like it can in a movie, but man, just the thoughts and the feelings that this movie gave were just something that I'll hold on to forever. Well, the film was released December 15th, 1989. Um, it actually had a budget of $6 million, not very big at all. We're going to talk to Todd Holland about that. Um, it made its money back and then some doubled it. 14.3 million. It made at the box office. It's also known um, for its extensive product placement of Nintendo material, as well as being the official introduction to Super Mario Brothers 3 in America before the internet, before you had any sort of, uh, you know, any other mechanism to find out about video games. You had Nintendo Power, and then uh, in 1989, you had The Wizard. I remember seeing this for the first time and being blown away during the championship. Uh, the, the gang, of course, is on, on path to compete in the Nintendo Championships in L.A. And at the end of it, the game they play is Super Mario Brothers 3. And I just remember the rush and the adrenaline that I felt when I saw that, knowing that, oh my God, this game's going to be coming out. This was the introduction to it. Basically, what Todd Holland did, and what we're going to talk to him about, is that he created the ultimate nostalgic. Every single thing about it is wrapped up in my childhood. It came out at the right time for me. I was, uh, you know, six years old when this came out. I was a, a Nintendo kid. I subscribed to Nintendo Power Magazine. I was all about all of these games and to see them come to life on the big screen like this. Not only that, but with Fred Savage, who I had come to really enjoy uh, in the Wonder Years, one of my favorite shows. Jenny Lewis grows up to be a, a famous singer, which she is now. We tried to get her on uh, many podcasts before. She's as elusive as they come. Uh, Christian Slater being involved in this. I love Bo Bridges. The cast was tremendous, knocked it out of the park. And uh, the truth of it is, this film um, garnished a lot of negative reviews when it came out. You've seen people like James Rolfe and uh, the Nostalgia Critic uh, really kind of lay into it. All they cared about was the video game sequences. Not me. I think this is a warm-hearted, family, fun film, and uh, it has gained a cult following since. And it's been one of my favorite movies since its release, and I stand by it to this day. Thank God there's this collector's edition. Noah, you hit the nail on the head on this, and I can't wait to get into this with some of our guests. But do you, were you as a kid and now, do you feel like that you gravitated more towards the Nintendo, or were you invested in the story as well? I mean, obviously I gravitated more towards the Nintendo, but I was very involved in the story and uh, Jimmy keeps saying California and wanting to get there, and we learn at the end that it's because... His sister, Jennifer, had passed away, had drowned uh, when they were uh, even smaller than they already are. And he wanted to get there because that's a, a place where she was happy and he kind of wanted to say goodbye and leave this little uh, lunchbox of pictures of her inside this dinosaur that uh, their whole family uh, visited uh, when they were younger. And so I was definitely involved in that story and, and just the adventure of it. And so I loved all that. But I mean, my mind was absolutely blown when I saw Super Mario Brothers 3, and especially when I saw that like giant world. Everything in there is giant. You got this little Mario going around. Like I was like, there's a giant? Well, I must play that. It's amazing. And just all the games that you see in it, just Ninja Gaiden, 
uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Super Mario Brothers 2, Mega Man. Then they're on these arcades. You see F1 Dream. And then there's Contra, Metroid, uh, Simon's Quest, and then, of course, Rad Racer with the Power Glove. I mean, just so many games in this thing that you're seeing. Like, oh, my God, I can't. I, I haven't played that one. That one looks good. I got to do that. Or I, I played Super Mario Brothers 2. I played Turtles. And uh, they show a lot of, of Turtles in the uh, underwater level where you're swimming through like this like electric seaweed and stuff and it, that level just i'm sure drove everyone insane it was almost impossible to get past but just such an amazing movie the music uh, you've got send me an angel by real life that's in this and just it has everything in it i don't know what, how anyone could trash this or talk negatively about it yeah, and we're going to get into some of that with Todd Holland. How did they get the rights to use the Nintendo stuff? Uh, what was kind of the the premise of this? How did they, Christian Slater being involved, the cast, that and much more. We're going to go ahead and welcome our first guest here on our special uh, Wizard podcast. It is none other than director Todd Holland, who created, to me, uh, the ultimate uh, time period piece for people my age and growing up in 1989. Todd, welcome to the Save My Nostalgia podcast. How's it going, my man? Uh, it's been great. Pilot season is always crazy hectic, but we turned in our ABC pilot on Saturday morning at 1 in the morning, and I'm slowly digging, literally digging through the piles of shit on my desk, trying to get back <laughs> to the surface of my desk after uh, two months. I mean, I've been on a, on a sprint for like the last five months, of a sprint of production, so there's a lot of debris to collect. But I'm happy. I'm feeling good, and uh, I'm happy to get back to the world. So this turns out perfectly. Well, Todd, you've got all this going on, and yet here's a couple of guys calling you to talk about a film that you made 30 years ago. Is that kind of an escape, or is it just like, really, we're still talking about that? <laughs> oh, no, I, I love it. Honestly, I tell everybody, I said, I was told The Wizard was a complete and total flop, and not until the first DVD came out, and I found it just literally just uh, by accident online. I, I was not that any kind of notice it was coming out. I found it on Amazon, I think. And then I started looking online and I realized, oh my God, people like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had no idea because it had been 20, 20 years, 20, I forget when the DVD came out, but it was, it had been so long and I didn't really, I wasn't connected to the fan base for it. Although, as I've been working in the last 10 years, uh, I've noticed crew members and actors who are like 28 to 35, they're all like, oh my God, you did the wizard? They're like, they'll meet me in the morning and then they'll, they'll Google me at lunch and then come back and they'll ask me about the wizard. I go, oh, there's a there's audience there that I was never told about. You were, all, you were all like five years old when I made the movie, but that's okay. That's We fit in that demographic exactly, Todd. That's, uh, that's us right in the middle of the Nintendo Power Generation, but... You know, Todd, this uh, movie is now is um, 30 years, uh, as in December it'll be the 30-year anniversary of its uh, initial release. Uh, $6 million budget for this thing. Um, first off, does it does 30 years, is it, is it, time has just been a strange mistress for, for many of us now as we get older. Does it seem like 30 years? I mean, it's unbelievable, to really, I'm sure, for you as, as you worked on the project. 30 years ago, unbelievable. It's hard to believe it's been 30 years, except when I see Fred Savage at Direction with the Old Events. And then I go, oh, yeah, it's been 30 years. Because <laughs> he's a grown man with three kids, you know. And, uh, and uh, but it's, it's, it's amazing. So time is a strange mistress. I agree with you. Well, Todd, uh, some people consider this movie kind of a 90-minute advertisement uh, for Nintendo, but they're really missing out on a truly heartwarming story of a family kind of dealing with going through a loss of a loved one. Does that ever bother you, the characters, the characterization of it being a Nintendo advertisement? Listen, I worked in VR, yes. You know, it always bothered me. It bothered me when the movie came out 30 years ago because I was very hard on this movie. And I connected with the complex backstory. It's a very complicated backstory. Come on. And we tried this whole, like, family photo thing to kind of tell the story, and then we kind of abandoned that. Um, eventually, it just opened the movie with Jimmy on the road. But, but, you know, trying to tell the story of a married couple with three, four kids, twin twin siblings, male, female, one drowned uh, in front of the other. That tragedy separates this ruins this marriage. One, one gets re- you know, it's a complicated backstory. Um, but I always thought that was 
I always relate to Jimmy, honestly, that Jimmy clarifying for me as a director the story of Jimmy's journey was the big, was my big focus because I love that kid in the movie and I and I believe kids are fueled by a very strong emotional drives and um, that was my thing coming in was to strengthen what was in the script already and I can talk about that later. Well, kind of, yeah, kind of talk about uh, about the script and about the use of Nintendo in the script. What was your kind of knowledge of the... Obviously, Nintendo had been a big thing for about uh, about four or five years at this point. Talk about kind of your knowledge of this phenomenon and, um, uh, you know, just kind of your awareness of it when you came on to direct the film. Listen, I was very frank with Universal, and I said, I am not a gamer. This is not my world, and that's why I should direct this movie. Because if I can make it interesting to me, I can make it interesting to anybody, you know? Because I need to tell this story so that people that aren't in the world can appreciate it and, and still be exciting to people who are in the world. So, you know, Nintendo was sort of a no-brainer. They were the biggest name in this game, I think, at that point. Um, so, uh, it's so funny you mentioned that we never say their name, and I... Well, we never say it, but it is, it is seen. It is seen in that magazine... Um, that they look at that at that uh, gas station bus stop, you know. I remember it's in that graphic, isn't it? And isn't it Nintendo's brand in that graphic? Yeah. Video Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, so, yeah, and obviously. I, 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 yeah. But. Yeah, and you, obviously the licenses were there. The um, images were there. I think a lot of the, um, although I think a lot of the footage was shown from some of the, um, um, the um, the stacked the, the uh, arcade the stack arcades which uh, were not part of Nintendo but ha- housed a lot of the, the games. So that's probably how that was able to be gotten away with. That's always kind of a question I had is just kind of the use of the licenses and the power glove. Todd, you had the power glove in there, man. Well, <laughs> yeah, we did it. You know, licensing was a very different game in 1989. I mean, if you wanted Coke in your movie, you just bought some Coke, or you call it Coke, because <laughs> they sent you bad cases. You know what I mean? I mean, there was a, they didn't pay you anything, and you didn't pay them anything. You know what I mean? It was, it was a totally different game. Product placement had not yet been invented. And so this idea, that is really why. You watch Fast and Furious, it's a fucking GM commercial, or whichever car that is, I forget that. But, I mean, it's a commercial for that brand of car, you know? So, I feel like you know, The Wizard was ahead of its time. It had totally had its integration with Nintendo. But that was core to the concept. Video games were core to the concept. And video, well, video games were um, very popular at that moment. I think, if anything, I always have thought the craven side of The Wizard Genesis is this sort of... This, Dolly Parton, Sylvester Stallone equals rhinestone kind of thing. This Hollywood chemistry of Fred Tavis is popular, Nintendo is popular, let's put them in a movie together, you know what I mean? But it wasn't ever conceived to be a Nintendo commercial, despite what everybody said. It was always intended to put two things together that kids were massively attracted to, which is Fred and, and video games. Actually, the origin of that. And then, yeah, we had the power glove, and um, I, of course, didn't know anything about it. I had, no one had heard of it. It was brand new. But they had, they had the dude, it was literally like, um, I once worked with an actress who came to set with like, you know, $100,000 with a gem, with the guy with the gun and the, and the locked briefcase. And it was kind of like that. They didn't have a gun, but they came with it in this lock. And that's why I kind of made the case like that, like that in the movie, because he came to set to show us one day that we shot. He brought this set to show us what it is and how it works and, and all that stuff. And had it in a lock case with this little foam thing. You know, it was very fancy and very James Bond. And, but I said, I want it to look like that. I want to have a case that um, he opens that uh, that is super cool. And, you know, we had to kind of, you know, in that, in, you know, in that era, everything, all the video games were pre-recorded. And then we had to project them on film sure. onto the screens we were using. Mm-hmm. So it was a very different technology than you did today. So we had to pre-plan all the segments we were using and try to figure out how to make that glove look cool. Because I think it looked cool, but apparently from everything I've heard, it never was cool, right? Yeah, it didn't quite work uh, as we had all hoped. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry I promoted it like so extensively for me. 
We don't blame um, that for you, Todd, but we got to talk about this amazing cast you had the chance to direct. Fred Savage uh, from the hit TV show The Wonder Years, and then landing key stars like uh, Bo Bridges and Christian Slater. Well, I came in and Fred was attached. It was a Fred Savage movie. And I liked Fred in the Wonder Years. He was 12 years old. And, you know, I liked him. And so I met on the movie, got the job. And then Mally Finn cast the movie. And if you know her career at all, Mally cast some of the greatest movies of our time, Terminator, um, Titanic, you know, a lot of great movies. But she she was just starting her career at that time, as as was I. And so we had great time casting that movie. And Bo... Uh, I think Bo came on first. Um, Christian had worked with Jeff, his brother, and really wanted to work with Bo. So Bo was a magnet to get Christian. And so I met with everybody and convinced them all to do the movie. And, and I remember I met Christian for lunch, and he was 19 at the time, and um, convinced him to come on. And he, you know, he wasn't huge at that point. He'd done Heather's, I think, right? Yeah. That was his big thing at that point. Yep. Yeah, he did. Um, and so, so he, he was on the way up to be a star, you know. But um, and then Jenny Lewis is uh, uh, well, and then Luke Edwards was sort of a discovery we found that it's just through casting. And then Jenny Lewis was the most, frankly, the most interesting story in that I love performance. I love actors who can act. So Universal and I greatly disagreed over who should play this part. And Jenny was not in the mix yet. I found this wonderful, quirky actress out of New York who wasn't as pretty as Universal wanted. They brought me this, basically, this Texas beauty queen that they wanted who couldn't act that way, or couldn't act at all. Wow. But I agreed to spend a day, spend a day with this little girl, and I did every theater game. I knew Valley and I did things with them together. We could not get this girl to act in any way that was workable. So I told Universal, I can't cast girl. So I did my best and it's not possible. And then this Jenny came into this wild card. I think something she was doing, it just fallen apart or something. I don't know, but she wasn't in the mix until the last, until the zero hour. She wasn't even in the mix. And we met and she was adorable visually and she could act like crazy. And I was like, I'm happy. They're happy. And Jenny became this magical missing piece that we didn't have until like the 11th hour. This movie took place very, it doesn't happen very fast. I I literally interviewed on a Thursday. I was hired on Friday, and I was prepping it on Monday and shooting five weeks later. Because wow. Fred was on his Fred was on his summer hiatus from the Wonder uh, Years. Yeah, and for some reason, nobody had nobody had greenlit this movie yet, and they didn't have a director, and they were determined to make it. Um, during this very tiny window he had, like basically eight weeks before he had to be back on the set of The Wonder Years, which was his, um, he was in first position with them. So this movie had to go, and it did, and we were, we did crazy fast prep, and it was a road movie shot in 35 days with kids, and it was, and it was crazy intense. Um, but, uh, but Jenny was the most, delightful surprise in the casting mix because she we didn't know coming. And just a tremendous musician to this day. Jenny Lewis was just performed here in Kansas City where we are at a, at a local venue and she's amazing. Does a great job with her music career and I'm a huge fan of Jenny Lewis to this day. So that was her start, I, of course. Yeah, I, I, I know. I don't remember her playing, playing or singing on set. I don't remember that ever happening, but I was pretty busy, so Maybe she was doing that off to the side somewhere, but she was always a super smart, capable actor. Like, I knew she was going to be okay. So I'm really, I'm really thrilled for her success. Well, Todd, I mean, a lot of people, you know, when we talk about The Wizard, of course, it came out a year after um, the hit movie Rain Man with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Um, and just kind of talk about the similarities because there's a lot of people that point to the similarities in the films. Obviously it's a kind of a cross country trip, uh, both fe- featuring like a mentally um, handicapped person involved and the, the scores are, are even kind of similar. Can you talk about just maybe some of the influence at all or kind of happenstance that, that these are similar or kind of what was the thought process there? Did you were aware of rain man or kind of how well, that you know, I, uh, as I say, I didn't develop it. You can tell her from the chronology with a fully written script by the time I got it, and I met, I met on Thursday, and I was prepping it on Monday. So, you know, it was, that was part of the DNA. I'm sure that was part of the pitch that 
the writer had when he stole it. You know, so um, I, I think that is a very apt comparison. I'm sure that was written as popular. His the kids were men. I mean, we never talked about it like that, honestly. So when the reviews attacked it, like, so simplistically like that, I was like, oh, that seems callow. But, I mean, the, the movie just wasn't going to be for adults. It just wasn't. And, sure. And, and, and honestly, I... I I loved kids' action movies as a kid, and I lived for them. So I was, I, kind of, I knew who my audience was. You know, I didn't know it was five-year-olds. I thought it was like going to be 10 and 12-year-olds. But um, it was, I, I knew I wanted to play a great action story, like a wish fulfillment story with kids. Like, the hostess truck was in the script, and I loved that idea. And this, this whole idea of this adventure that kids can have. And for me, the video games was secondary. Um... But I was very invested in Jimmy's um, emotional, psychic dilemma. You know, in, in the original trip that I interviewed for, you know, he's wandering for him with no reason. And I went to the writer, David, and I said, I went to the producer, and I went to the studio, and I said, look, I said, what if? Said, what if? He's wandering, yes, but what if he's saying something? What if he's saying something? Yes, like, what if he's saying like California, you know, what if he's saying that nobody knows what it means? And then at some point in the story, when they're on the journey, we end up passing by those dinosaurs, say on the Ten Freeway outside of you know on the way to Vegas, and um, and what if they pull over? And so this whole idea of giving closure to that story and making it mean, making his wandering mean something was my idea, and it was crucial to me. Because I think that little boy is smarter than everybody in the movie. As damnated as he is, he's trying to do this beautiful, joyful thing for his sister to leave her in a happy place. And that whole storyline, because it was my idea, and frankly, the producers and I did not get along. And it was they put in the script. And then the producers and I did not get along. It was a very difficult shoot is that the movie was a full hour too long, and I followed them and said, it's too long, we've cut it. So the, we were legal, we were contractually obligated to deliver a 90-minute movie. The movie, the editor's cut, came in at two and a half hours. There's a full wow. hour of the Wizards to take it out. Um, which is all, mostly all backstory back in uh, Fallon, Nevada, and all the backstory of Corey and his friends, and there's these three boys who were great. They played his best friends and all their kind of adventures. And, and basically, I had to write them letters that said, you are not only crimmed in the movie, you are deleted from the movie. The whole oh, origin of this is gone. And I wrote them all letters, you know, because that's what I could do in the day, because there was no email. And they were very grateful to know, because I didn't want them taking, rushing their family and friends into the wizard, and they're not in it at all. So, it's very important to me that, that Corey's, I mean, um, Jimmy's journey had meaning, you know? And so... We thought, thought, thought of this uh, as, as we thought over many things in the movie, and by the time we got toward the end, we were shooting the chase sequence at Universal, and they came to me, my producers came to me and said, you the studio doesn't want to shoot the ending. I said, I said wait, what, what are you talking about? They don't want to shoot it. And they don't think we, have, they don't think we need it. People we'll just take it out of the movie. We'll just cut it out of the movie. I said, no, no, no. We've come this far. We've come this far. I mean, he, he said California and all these places. I mean, where we built the whole build, so let's shoot it. And see if it works, and if it doesn't work, then we take it out, you know? But if we don't shoot it, we that whole thing. So anyways, I just held my ground. For some reason, I got to shoot that thing. But nobody would rewrite it. Um, and I kept saying, the thing doesn't work, the thing doesn't work. So I finally, the night before we shot it, we were out in the desert, and I rewrote that scene, and I printed those pages on my dot matrix printer, my Apple dot matrix printer, and I brought it <laughs> to stay, I brought it to the location, and I said, here, Gonna pay for you both, and I just told everybody what you're gonna say. That's what's in the movie, and that's what touched it so highly. That emotional journey, having knowing that it wasn't just this craft, um, a video game adventure, knowing that the, the story really wanted to be about this boy's journey that becomes a family journey of a realization. That's the best part about the wizard, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, despite the video game fun, that's the best part. So um, I fought very hard for that. So I'm happy it resonated. 
Oh, absolutely. But The Wizard may be the ultimate time period piece of the 1980s. You got Fred Savage, Christian Slater, the Nintendo, even music featuring the new kids on the block. If there's a time capsule out there that's uncovered and it's from the 80s, do you think it's complete without a copy of The Wizard in there? <laughs> or or a Vision Streetwear, whatever, whatever the fuck that was. Uh, <laughs> I think we got some branded partnership or something with them and got free clothes, and they're like, their brand is everywhere. I've never heard of them before or after. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think it's uh, some fan when the DVD first came out and said, if I could have 10 movies on a deserted island, nine of them would be The Wizards. I said, oh my God, that's one of the nicest things I've ever heard. <laughs> Oh, it's uh, and through social media, through social media, frankly, through connecting with my this audience yeah. on Twitter and now Instagram, I I got hooked up with this guy who who gave me all this. He's a wizard uh, marketing obsessed collector, and he travels around to all these movie shows and and poster stores around the world, and he bought wizard publicity materials from around the world. So he stepped me, this, he, I asked him, just, can you scan the Japanese poster for me? I've always wanted that. I've always wanted something like that for that. He just stepped me this giant package of stuff with posters from Poland and, and Japan and, and just this amazing package of international marketing, which I see as, as a 29-year-old director. I, I just would, I had no idea that happened, you know? I, I, they, don't, they don't tell you anything. They tell you your movie's a flop. You're not making a dime on it, and then you never hear from them again, basically. And that's how it happened. So social media has opened a door for me to kind of celebrate with the audience that loved it, this movie that I believe, probably believed in and fought very hard for. Well, that is uh, wonderful, the power of uh, social media and today to be able to connect with uh, so many other people. I know there's conventions and so many things to do with this. And uh, I know this this wasn't my initial note, so I didn't send this to you, but I have to ask you about this because for, since I was a kid, my favorite character in this film, aside from the main cast, of course, is... Will Setzer's performance as Putnam. No, he doesn't have a first name. He is the guy who, apparently this is a job. You can be hired as someone that retrieves runaways because that's what this guy is. Always found him to be hilarious, amazing comic relief and uh, this just bumbling idiot that can't ever do anything right that's on this trip trying to retrieve these kids. It's like, I've never heard of another person that retrieves runaways for a living, but that was Putnam and Will Setzer did a great job as that. I'm so happy to hear you say that because... I I came out of UCLA Film School and right away I got hired by Steven Spielberg to write and direct some amazing stories in 86, three years before this. And so I went into acting. So I, in film school, I hadn't been able to study acting. There was no room in that class for me. But I knew I had to learn how to work with actors. So I took acting with a wonderful director named Stephen Darling. And in the class, in the class, one of my classmates was this man named Will Seltzer. Will Seltzer, you know. And I were trying to cast his role. And I could not find anybody in Hollywood that kind of fits in that was funny. And, and I asked him, I told Mally, well, I want to bring Will in. And he came in and he won the part. And uh, I couldn't be happy. He was a super nice guy. I don't even know how many movies he was in before or after. Um, but he was a big break for him. And we had a great time doing it. I knew he could do it. He was that kind of actor. He's funny and physical and... Uh, and could be kind of short and furious and indignant, and it was funny. And then the other lady from my acting class was a social worker who meets with Christine and, what's his name, Christine Bates, and uh, at the, you know, where Jimmy's building the block that's through the glass window? Yes. That social, work, that social worker is also from my acting class. I forget her name. That's awesome, yes. She, um, when they kind of decided Jimmy needed to go to the home, yeah, that... Kind of a yeah. main part when he had run away initially. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Todd, uh, you had mentioned... It was, uh, it was the... hard. We... Oh, go ahead. Oh, it was a hard movie. We shot that movie six days a week on location. So there was one day to rest and get ready for the rest of the week. And and now you've heard there's, you know, we shot 40% too much movie. So it's like there was a little, we shot fast. That whole chase scene in Universal, the one that happens in the rafters above the stage, you know, I had designed all this fun stuff for that, and, and it ended up being, I only had like, you know, four hours to shoot whatever I could do, so it became, whatever I could do was, was what I could shoot those four hours, so, um, I, but I always, 
I always wanted that to be a great adventure. The whole video Armageddon, that was my name, and, and I was obsessed with Alien at that time, and Aliens. And so I talked to my designer, Michael Mann, and I said I wanted to be like this crashed spaceship on an abandoned planet. And we went through all these various designs, the heck creatures draped over the, over the blast orb and all that. But we ended up, for many reasons, among other reasons, uh, we ended up doing the blast orders and all that, that sort of spaceship design and all that sort of flashing red, you know, yellow emergency light and all that. And then uh, we ended up, uh, the Drakey tentacles became those balloon things, which were easier and cheaper than designing a dead animal, dead creature. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of that uh, 40% of unused movie, do you, is there any chance that you think we could ever see a director's cut or special edition in the future? You know, I said to everybody on social media, I said, you tell Universal. Universal has never contacted me ever about the movie. They've always treated it as like a stepchild, so I'm thrilled the fan base consistently, you know, messages Universal that they love it, they want to see it. I didn't know it was coming out of Blu-ray, is that by accident? Again, um, so I have zero cloud in that equation. I don't know if in 30 years, I don't know if some, like the Fox keeps their film in a salt mine in Nevada, so maybe Universal does the same. I, you know, I, I don't have a VHS tape of the full cut of the wizard, because it was so long ago we cut that movie on film, and there was no videotape at all. So, you know, I don't know where the rest of that movie is. I have the script, I can tell you what it is, but I don't know where it is, but I would love to do, uh, I'd love to get people together and talk about it, and get cast together, and do commentary, and it would be, it would be tremendous fun. I mean, it's, it's weird to talk to Fred and Luke about the movie, because Luke was nine, and Fred was twelve, and, you know, they don't really have, like, Big, big memories of it, you know, on a uh, sort of a production level, and they were, their worlds were very different at that age, you know, but, you know, Bob Yeoman shot it, he went on to do all the Wes Anderson movies, and um, Bob was a, such a gentleman, and he, I was so happy to partner with him, and and we had generally a very good time, Malik Fincastis, and um, so, yeah, I would love to do some extras on it, I think it would be fantastic. So, well, we, we we're all your important friends. Yeah, <laughs> if if I had any, I sure would, Todd. I, um, in that we might even be able to get Toby McGuire involved. You never know. I mean, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's 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 well, a good. It was also the internet that sh- the internet revealed to me that Toby McGuire was in that movie. I had no idea. Isn't that funny? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's one of Lucas's That's goons. Has he ever st- talked about it? Ever? I don't think so. I don't. It's I know, I didn't know he, so anyway, it's funny. And Lucas was hilarious, he, you know, he's just a hilarious villain, and, um, you yeah, know, he was lovely, and the kids were all really good, they were good kids, and that video began was a bitch of a shoot, and that poor announcer dude, he was Australian, he lost his voice shooting it, because there's smoke in the place, and so he lost his voice shooting it, and then we tried to loop it, but brought him into the ADR stage, and when they replaced out, I wanted to loop it, I wouldn't have to yell it again later. He lost his voice the second time, so we just said, ah, oh, fuck it, just keep the original. <laughs> Yeah, if, oh, and it's kind of funny crap. because Lucas's friend, there's a friend of Lucas's that gets an, a line. He says something along the lines of, you know, we're gonna you're gonna rip their gizzards out. And Toby Maguire is just standing there, like you know, with a little mullet. It's like Toby Maguire, you know, couldn't even get a, this random kid who was horrendous actor got, gets a line, and Toby Maguire, future Spider-Man, just kind of standing there, off to the side. <laughs> Nobody knows it's him. It's hilarious. Oh, Lord. The other funny story is I did a series um, in 2007 called Misguided. It was a short-lived Judy Greer series. But I cast, you know, the leading man was this actor named Chris Palaha. And he's been in lots and lots of shows. Chris had told me that when we've met before, Todd, he says he, le- he lived in Reno. And I cast him as a, as a, as a young Christian slayer photo double in all those family photos we, we shot that go in the lunchbox and, and that we're going to be part of the a part of the opening montage of family and all that that we took out but I I went back and pulled up I have all those prop pictures and I pulled it up I said oh my god it is Chris it was the first time he'd ever worked anywhere he went on to become an actor I said that is crazy <laughs> 
Wow. So, That's... you never know. You never know. Well, Todd, this has just been just so delightful. We're, you know, talking about this and 30 years later and, you know, really, and uh, to share kind of just a quick personal note here, like what it meant to me, like I grew up in the Midwest and um, for me, you know, things like Nintendo and movies were such an escape and to have a movie like this that just kind of showed a kid that, you know, from a small Midwestern town, like what's possible in the world, like, you know, you can go on this adventure, you can do these things, you can go to, I mean, California was like, might as well have been in another world to me, and uh, since then, I've been there a ton of times, and experienced so many things, it's like The Wizard, I think it's a great movie for kids, that young people, it shows you kind of what's possible, you know, in, in, in a large capacity, that's a really powerful thing. Well, it's funny, I have, uh, right now, I have triplets, nine-year-olds, so they haven't seen it yet, but I think I'm going to show it to them, let's see what they think. Absolutely. Before we let you go, Todd, um, I've got to tell you, um, I'm sure you've heard some of these before, but because we're doing this podcast, some of our listeners might not have heard it. We have to go through a couple of the literal translations of the film's foreign language titles. Okay, so in Germany, it's called Joystick Heroes. Um, In Japan, it's called Sweet Road, which makes no sense at all. Um, The Wizard of Video (laughs) Games in Italy and Brazil, Video Kid in France, the Champion of Video Games in Spain, Game Boy in Sweden, Game Over in Finland, and my favorite, The Child Genius in French. So you could have used any of those titles, and I guess we probably never would have seen it because it would have never made it uh, made it to theaters if you had used any of those titles. But those are some of the titles worldwide, Todd. Those are all kind of funny. I've seen, the, I've seen that French poster, and it's amazing what the French do. They, they made it like a fast watch and movie or something. It's a picture, just a picture of Luke a beautiful little color picture of Luke with his lunchbox, and it's all in white. There's no, you know, video game graphics. There's nothing. It looks like a little art film. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> so it's some, the international marketing is, was fascinating when I got that package from that gentleman. So, anyways, you guys, this has been fantastic. I'm, I'm grateful you still enjoy the movie. Any filmmaker who makes any movie wants to believe it connects to an audience where it has lasting value, and I think there's magic in story. I've always believed there's magic in storytelling. That's how I related to movies as a kid. So the fact that I've given you a little bit of magic is is kind of fantastic to me. So I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, definitely the case, Todd. You know, you got a lot coming up, a lot of big things. We'll definitely be in touch. Definitely uh, promote uh, all your projects. Um, you know, on our social medias and website, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future. 30th anniversary of the Wizard. It will officially be December 15th, but you know what? We're going to celebrate it all the rest of the summer. It's a summer movie. Going to watch it at least three <laughs> times a summer. Todd, can't thank you enough for taking the time, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Be well. It was an honor. Take care. Well, you got it right from the horse's mouth there, getting into this film with director Todd Holland, who really wasn't into Nintendo at all. And maybe it took that for Todd to be able to delve into it and do it his way. He talked about, hey, back then, product placement and all that was not really uh, that prominent. So you wanted to make a movie about Nintendo? You went out and made a movie about Nintendo. Wish it was that simple today for us, especially as filmmakers acquiring rights to music and footage has proven to be a nightmare Todd Holland, though, got it done, and uh, he did a tremendous job with this. And, uh, of course, we talked to him in the interview about how it kind of mirrors the uh, the story, the script, and even the music of Rain Man, which I think a lot of people do draw that comparison. And uh, I'm a big fan of both films, so I'm sure you also see the comparison. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty prevalent here. It is, yeah. I mean, Jimmy's character, obviously, just like Dustin Hoffman's character, is kind of repeating things, saying them over and over focused on one sole thing and and uh, are kind of blank and just kind of left out on other stuff and but I we talked to Todd there about just this film like a lot of people saying it's a 90 minute advertisement for Nintendo and uh, we there's this whole other story and you mentioned it there how he wasn't really into Nintendo and he was a director and he had this film and he had this story and uh, he kind of takes offense to that a little bit he wants to get across that no there's a story to this and there's a deeper film underneath all the Nintendo stuff to this. And we both see that. And we hope that you do too, when you watch that and don't just write it off as a 90 minute advertisement for Nintendo. No, I think that the, uh, the on some of the, you know, on location filmmaking that really 
making this look to be a journey, something that like as a kid, I couldn't have imagined. I never left the small town of Clinton, Missouri, where I grew up by that age. And, but watching these kids, you know, they're like hitchhiking. They've, uh, they're on buses. They're trying to get across the country any way they can from Utah to California. And I'm just seeing all these, the scenery and the desert and these landscapes. And I'm just like, my mind is completely blown. Not only that, we talked to him a little bit about the character of Putnam, the uh, guy who's like being hired. He rescues runaway for, for a living. Like, have you ever heard of that as a job? Have you ever applied for a job that retrieves runaways? Is that a real job? I don't know. I've heard of Dog the Bounty Hunter, but uh, just getting runaway children, I have not heard as a job. Maybe it's something, uh, maybe he's also a private investigator and just gets hired for some of these odd jobs like uh capturing runaways but uh yeah i don't know if there's just classified ads uh looking for jobs like that if there are uh, maybe that's something i could do go on some adventures and uh try and get these runaway kids that are apparently rampantly running away just walking towards california and then entering video game tournaments they must be stopped well, and it's funny, the, the, the comedic banter between uh, Bo Bridges and Christian Slater, who are uh, also trying to retrieve their sons. They're trying to uh, catch up with them and, and take them back home. Uh, meanwhile, the, the Mr. Putnam's trying to thwart them. He keeps like popping their tires or, uh, you know, ruining their vehicle so that they get stuck and they can't, so he can go make his money by retrieving the runaways. It's a good little side story. And I just love Bo Bridges. And I love the idea uh, in this, that there's been a family trauma. That's what this is based around. And that the family is clearly shattered. Uh, the, the dad played by Bo Bridges and Christian Slater, obviously at odds. He's become a rebellious teen and um, Fred Savage's character, Corey, is sort of detached from them as well. And so in the end of this, this is all about bringing a family back together that was originally based on a trauma. And I think that's really powerful stuff. And a lot of people, um, you know, we talked about Rain Man, but a lot of people also see this as a retelling of uh, Tommy um, from 1975 with a video game instead of pinball, you know, you, the, the band, The Who, uh, the song Pinball Wizard, Tommy, the concept album, which was a movie in 1975. Uh, kind of uh, along those lines as well. So that there's some comparisons to be drawn there, but let's also, because this podcast is too big for just one guest, we have to bring on one of the stars of this film. It is Luke Edwards. He played the role of Jimmy, always trying to get to California. We're going to see kind of how this affected his childhood, what his memories of it were, whether he knew much about Nintendo or not, or whether it's really possible to get 50,000 on Double Dragon. We'll never know. Luke Edwards, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us here on our special Wizard Podcast on Save by Nostalgia. How's it going? Hey, man, I'm good. How are you? Well, we're doing great. I'll tell you what, we can't thank you enough for doing this with us today, man, because uh, you're, you're the first, and all the guests that we've had and all the people we've talked to, you're the first that are that we're doing two movies with, really, because we got the 25th year anniversary, the 25-year anniversary of Little Big League, and the 30th of The Wizard coming up in the same year. It's a magical thing. That's just got to feel great, man. This is crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's a real trip man you know i mean uh, uh, a lot of time has gone by you know and a lot of a lot of things have happened in the interim but um but yeah i mean it's it's fantastic oh, that's awesome. awesome yeah we love hearing that and clint mentioned it there a little bit it's their 30th anniversary for the wizard 25th anniversary for little big league kind of take us back to, to those auditions i uh, can't imagine how many kids came out for those parts but uh, kind of how did you learn that you landed both lead roles? And of course, what were the celebrations like afterwards with your family? <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I was kind of a, uh, you know, I was kind of a funny kid in the sense that, um, you know, at that time, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really my, it, it wasn't really a, a priority. You know, it was acting was never something that I pursued. I kind of just fell into it. Um, so, you know, for me, it wasn't, you know, I, I love the work, you know, um, I, I love the acting. I love to, um, you know, collaborate with people. Um, but as far as the business of it, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't know that I ever really, um, you know, had any kind of plan or design, you know, I just kind of was going along for the ride. Um, so that's definitely what both of those projects, uh, you know, were, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a great blessing, uh, you know, to be able to, to work on both of those. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, uh, as a kid, I definitely had, had other things that were, you know, my, my focus, uh, you know, I, I kind of just wanted to, uh, you know, I, I mean, as, as every kid, I just wanted to play, you know, so that was Excellent. my priority. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah. it, it, it's kind of funny that that's the case because, uh, you know, the wizard always represented to me like the ultimate kids adventure movie and the ultimate like look at what can happen, you know, when kids you know, have the opportunity to excel and to, to, to do something special. And so it's funny that you were in, uh, you know, playing that role. And for me, it just was seeing it. I made everything seem so possible for me. I think that's what the wizard always um, represented for me because I was a big Nintendo fan. And you were you were nine years old, you know, when you made this. I know that you know you're you just kind of taking some acting classes, just you know, just to, to kind of see what would happen. What what was that like coming into this? And you're you know you're surrounded by guys like Bo Bridges, Christian Slater, uh, Jenny Lewis, uh, and of course Fred Savage. What what was that like coming into that world? Uh, obviously, you'd done a couple things before the wizard. This is your first big you know feature film, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I mean, previous to The Wizard, I, you know, I, I had really only done, um, you know, a, a, a TV miniseries. Um, and it was it was really well received, you know, and, and got some kind of uh, critical acclaim, you know, so that helped. But definitely The Wizard was, you know, it was kind of my my first, you know, first feature. And, you know, it was like a, a, a big studio film and... and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, being eight, eight years old, nine years old, you know, it was overwhelming. I, I didn't really understand it, um, you know, in, in any kind of big picture way. Um, so I, I, you know, I mainly just, uh, as a kid, I just showed up and, and, and got to play, you know, and, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, uh, strangely enough, they paid me for it. <laughs> But it was it was great. It was so much fun. You know, I mean, uh, you know, all those all those people that that you mentioned, um, you know, they're all just such great artists. So for me, you know, such an honor and 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 such a gift to be able to you know meet those people and interact and collaborate and um, and you know and try and create you know some kind of meaningful piece of art uh, together. <laughs> you know, whether whether that's what it is for people or not, that's definitely what we were trying to do. Um, you know, and, and, um, they were all just such great collaborators. Um, you know, Chris, Christian Slater, such a, such a, you know, wonderful and warm and, and nice guy. And, you know, around that time, 89, you know, I, I, my, my memory is he was kind of on top of the world. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny to me that he, you know, he took this, you know, kind of smaller supporting role in this film, but I'm so glad he did, you know, because, you know, it was just, it's great fun to just, you know, be around those guys. Yeah, we mentioned uh, how this is kind of your first big feature film. This was Fred Savage's uh, fifth film. I kind of want to get into your guys' relationship, you and Fred Savage, and uh, if you guys have uh, stayed in touch at all throughout the years. Um, yeah, I mean, we we sort of run into each other, you know, every couple of years, just, just being around uh, town and being in the industry. Um, uh, you know, on, on that particular show, um, you know, of course, Fred was, Fred was doing the wonder years. So he was kind of, you know, he was, he was in a certain, you know, world of TV success. Um, and for me, you know, I was really brand new to it. Um, so, you know, I, I think it, during that time we were, we were kind of living in very different worlds. Um, yeah. but one of the things you know, that was really great was that, um, uh, Fred's brother, Ben was also around for a lot of that. And, and he was closer to my age and, and this was before, you know, he, uh, he started working himself and, you know, before, uh, Boy Meets World and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so anyway, uh, me and Ben got along just famously and, um, you know, he's another guy that I, I run into all the time around town and, um, you know, so I, he and I became really close and, and, um, Jenny and I became really close on that set. Um, and, you know, as far as Fred, he had a lot going on. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, I think he did Little Monsters that same year, that movie. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, that's, he was very busy, you know, so. Oh yeah. He was in yeah, high demand. He, he, what's that? He was in high demand for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, there, there were a lot of demands, you know, on him at that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, just a just a a great experience, a lot of fun for me. Um, you know, tripping around Nevada and and Northern California, and 
uh, you know, I mean, we just had a blast. I, you know, for a kid of uh, of nine years old, you know, you get paid to go hang out in arcades all the all day. What could be better? Well, talk about some of the challenges uh, for this role because uh, you know this is a story and that's you know largely centered around your character, who's a traumatized uh, little boy who you know yeah. doesn't have many lines. Um, so how you know that's a difficult thing to kind of be thrust into this role. And to not be able to really do much, uh, you know, have any lines to communicate. Really, you've got to, uh, you, you know, use a lot of uh, body language and the way that you kind of move and and you know the way that you kind of just exist uh, with the other characters to to portray your story. How difficult was that for you? I mean, it's probably something at the time you didn't think about, but now looking back, like that's that's kind of a tall order, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think you kind of nailed it at the time. You know, I, I don't know how how deeply I was I was you know thinking about that stuff or, or grasping that stuff. Um, you know, the the director, um, you know, Todd, he 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 worked with me, you know, in in real depth to kind of find that stuff. Um, so so a lot of that stuff came from him, um, and you know, I I think honestly, it, it, you know, for me, it, it's kind of just fortune you know um they they were looking for a certain you know type of kid you know who who you know could be really focused and who kind of lived in his own world and i i just naturally was that way you know so so coming in and reading for the role you know i think i mostly was just being myself and that just happened to be you know the the right kind of fit um, Todd, Todd told me a story many, many years, you know, later, um, that, you know, they, they obviously, they read a lot of kids. Um, but he said that n nobody that they met, um, could focus in, in the way that I did. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't trying to do that. That was just a, a you know, a, 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 a trait that I, I kind of naturally had, um, you know, and so, uh, it was a fit. <laughs> yeah definitely we were able to have uh, Todd on uh, we have uh, had him on before to talk about this we're kind of putting mm. it all together for the, the whole totality of the, of this podcast will include you and Todd Holland the director and he just had such glowing oh, things great. to say yeah it's awesome he had such glowing things to say about about you and the cast and it just I you know does it surprise you that this film sort of lives on in the niche that it has and I think that, that you know I figured it out for me I it, it, there's a perfect storm of people that are around our age, uh, your age as well. We're all around the same age that just that this hits the chord for grew up playing Nintendo that maybe lived kind of in a, you know, like me, I lived in a Midwestern town in Missouri, things like going to California and to universal studios and being in the Nintendo championship seems so far outside, you know, <laughs> the realm for me. And this just represented so many things for them. And I think that as years go by, not only that, but this great soundtrack by new kids on the block, certainly helps but does it surprise you does it surprise you that this lives on the way it does uh you know it, in a way it does and in a way it doesn't you know um i mean it's it's funny now that you know video games have become this you know massive industry um and and of course in 88 89 it wasn't like that you know it was a, it was much more of a kind of a fringe um thing you know of course if you were a kid at that time you know, that was, that was, you know, that was everything to you, but it, but it, you know, it wasn't the, you know, mega, you know, billions or whatever that it is now. Um, and so it, you know, it's funny, it's funny for me to think about it. Like if, if something like this were made today, you know, it would, it would, it, you know, it would have all of this support and all of this attention on it that, you know, back then that wasn't, that wasn't how it worked. You know, and I don't think people were really, um, you know, paying attention, uh, you know, in, in that time, unless, of course, you know, you were the right age for it. And, you know, and then it was, you know, this, this great fantasy. Well, um, it, it is. That's exactly what it is. And that's what's so interesting. I mean, do you when you look at it and I always there's a segment of people and we talk to Todd about this um, and it's his it's his movie and it's his vision in a lot of ways. Uh, but yeah. That, that there's a segment of people that will that the knock on on the wizard of course that will keep you know getting brought up today is this it was simply an infomercial for for Nintendo it was a commercial for Nintendo 90 right. minute commercial for Nintendo when in fact 
there's this really intricate story there, uh, you know, featuring you and a, and a twin sister that you lost in this family that's falling apart. And the yeah. fact that kind of all these events kind of bring you guys together, I think, is a very lighthearted and wonderful thing. And I think that was a big part of it for me. It was not just about the Nintendo. Do you ever... I mean, you hear things like that. You've been on panels and discussions about this movie. I mean, is, does that ever kind of get to you when people make that claim? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, you know, as much as the movie is about, you know, video games and stuff like that, for me, you know, the, the core of the movie was always, you know, it was always about relationships and it was always about family, you know, and that for me, that was something that I could connect to, you know, very easily. Um, so that was, you know, that's, that was, that's kind of the emotional core, right. Of the, of the film. And that was always really, you know, that, that felt really important to me, you know, because it's, you know, I mean, it's, it is a story, you know, it's a, it's a lighthearted story, but it has this sort of, you know, this, this other part to it, this, this, um, you know, darkness or shadow part to it. And, and I feel like that's what, you know, that's what actually gave the story some depth, whether people, you know, <laughs> Whether people go into that or not is is really up to them, um, but that's you know for me that's what makes the story worthwhile. You know that it's not just you know it's not just promotion. It's not just you know <laughs> it's it's not just a a, a ninety minute <laughs> commercial. Right. You know there is actually something that we were trying to to say to communicate. Okay, in a given week. How many times will someone see you on the streets and just yell California at you? I know that's you get that a lot. How many times does it these happen? These days, oh boy, you know, these days it doesn't ever happen. Really? It's been, you know, it's yeah, oh yeah, it's been it's been a long time for me since uh, you know the days when people would recognize me. Uh, you know that that time has kind of come and gone. <laughs> so it's really, you know, it's really like the more hardcore fans, you know, <laughs> who, who, you know, remember it and, and, you know, know who I am and, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's what, that's what it's all about, man. And, uh, you know, you, uh, you were so identifiable and then the roles that you played and definitely stood out stood and they stand the test of time. And, you know, I've, I've literally, and I'll tell anyone this, I watched the wizard every summer of my life since it came out. So this will be my, ah. I think my 30th viewing coming up this year. It's the 30th anniversary. So, uh, it's on, here we go, man. It's going to be great. Uh, ah. dude, <laughs> cannot thank you enough. Um, you, what a, what a great career. Best of luck in everything you got coming up. And again, definitely stay in touch with us. And we'd be glad to help you with anything. Cannot thank you enough. Luke, man, it's been great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much, man. I appreciate it. So there you have it. Perspectives from Luke Edwards, who played Jimmy, Todd Holland, who directed the film. Um, there is no other podcast that is going to go out there and uh, delve into films like this as, as much as we are, as well as the television shows that we do, like Saved by the Bell. We've got a million guests for those. No, it was great to get those perspectives. Luke Edwards was uh, yeah, only uh, like eight years old or so when this happened, uh, maybe a little older, but to have his perspective again, the fact that you can put together a film where, and, and Luke Edwards didn't really know much about Nintendo. He wasn't an, any, uh, he, you know, wasn't a huge Nintendo fan either to be able to construct all this and to make everything work and, and be cohesive around people that really didn't have much interest in what the film's even about. That's pretty powerful and strong stuff. And I guess that's the, the magic of filmmaking right there. And uh, it was great to catch up with him about it. And it was, uh, you know, really cool to get his perspective. Yeah, I mean, trying to build this story, and that's what they went into, the story and the deeper meaning behind it, not just this Nintendo stuff. And I think that's what the actors focused on. And But just getting back to this film, I didn't know, like I learned during this film when I was watching as a kid, like there's 97 NES games. Like I didn't know there was that many back then. And, and the, this power glove that they're introducing that uh, didn't go so well uh, in implementation towards across several other games that... It worked for Rad Racer, but I heard it didn't work for a lot of other games that it was supposed to work for and just didn't quite have the functionality that they would have hoped for it. And um, they call the Nintendo Power Hotline trying to get up to speed on 70 games, so I only knew about, like, about 27 games. And I always wanted to participate in Video Armageddon. I had to get there. That host was crazy, insane, like just had kind of this sinister voice and I just wanted to get there, but I don't think I was good enough at Nintendo back then. Uh, I had some hard times getting through some of those Mario games. Uh, so I don't think I would have lasted very long. 
I, they didn't play Mike Tyson's punch out in this, but I was the first kid that I knew to beat Mike Tyson's punch out. And I must have really just good, like muscle memory, uh, reflexes. Like that's what you have to do. It's a muscle memory game. And I somehow, that was the one that I could, uh, actually beat. I can now to, at this point, I have a Nintendo mini and I can beat original Super Mario brothers in seven minutes. That's my record. I time it sometimes. Well, that's what happens during quarantining. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> but kind of, kind of wrapping this up. I agree. I think that video Armageddon, was a tremendous final scene. Uh, originally, the marketing around this, they wanted to say the Karate Kid, but with video games. And I, as hokey as that sounds, I kind of get it, especially when you look at sort of the way that the film ended. It had this, this great climax with uh, Jimmy winning the championship over his rival, Lucas Barton. Uh, we didn't uh, talk enough about Lucas, who's the, kind of the film's villain. Uh, he's always brought up uh, amongst a lot of fans of just, he's just this over-the-top, like, prepubescent villain He's the one that introduces us the power glove, but he just comes off of one of those like Nintendo nerds that you know you could never beat. He's got this like curly blonde hair, prepubescent voice, but he's got the power glove. He's got all 97 Nintendo games, but Jimmy takes him down in the end and it was good to see Lucas get his comeuppance. And then the family unit comes back together and it looks like also at the end, they're driving back with Jenny Lewis with them as well. Like she's going to be joining the family, apparently. She's got her own... Uh, Mom and dad there in uh, Reno, Nevada, but uh, I guess she's going back with the Woodses. Cake and ice cream. They're going to go back, and then they'll drive her all the way back to Nevada, uh, where, where they're based in Utah. So that's going to be a little bit of a drive uh, to get Jenny back there. But I have to ask you before we close this thing out here about Putnam looking for the kids in Las Vegas. He goes around the poolside uh, asking around if anyone's seen these kids. He's got a picture and he's asking someone at this little like bar setup, and there's an old man there in a blue speedo for no reason. Like, why is there an old man? And, and then he finds Corey, Fred Savage's character, and he finds out where Jimmy's located. And Haley yells out, "He touched my breast!" <laughs> I, I think that uh, they, 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 you know, the writers they had to find a way to get Putnam jailed in like the most comedic way possible, which is him to be dragged away by police. And he's always just struggling or fighting with someone. And you just get this over the top moment. He touched my breast. And that, of course, that's going to stop everyone. If you want the police to drag someone away, it's got to be, he touched my breast. It's going to make people stop in their tracks and they're going to go after it. You got the old man in the Speedo that's ordering a drink back there. And uh, by the way, it's not Las Vegas at all. It is Reno, Nevada, the world's biggest little city. It's beautiful there. I've got to go. I mean, I haven't adventured there yet, and now that's on my bucket list. I've got to do it. Well, putting a nice little bow here on The Wizard, um, this is one we've wanted to do for a long time. We've had these interviews kind of in the can for quite a while, but we wanted to wait until closer to the release of the Collector's Edition Blu-ray, which I highly recommend you get. It's got uh, a lot of interviews never before heard until you're listening to this podcast. This is the the, the true breaking news right here. But on that, you got some great interviews, some great uh, documentaries, uh, it, it's just a tremendous double disc set with a, actually a cool cover because the wizard has one of the most badass posters I've ever seen. You got Fred Savage, Jenny Lewis, and Luke Edwards on the cover. They're holding them up. You've got all these Nintendo characters in the background. I love that. Then in night in uh, 2006, the blue, the uh, DVD came out with just this horrendous cover, very generic. And it was absolutely nothing like that. But this one, it's got, uh, the characters all in like eight bit, cartoon uh, mode it's really cool and you've got like dinosaurs on it like for, you know from the california scene you've got uh, jimmy carrying his lunchbox and sort of a as a as an 8-bit nintendo character it's a really cool cover so get it just for that it's worth it we can't thank todd holland um uh, certainly and luke edwards enough but this film will always resonate with me it's one that at age 36 i watch it every summer because summer to me represents that time of just freedom um, there's nothing that can get your way. You can do anything you want. You, you're a, the kids are out of school. You can go on these adventures and I watch it every summer. And I have since it came out in 1989, that is just a, it's a custom for me that will never be broken. And to be able to delve into this film with these characters. So you already know it's two huge power gloves up for me. Um, even though power glove was a disaster, uh, this one hits home in every way possible. It hits me in every single one of my feels. Anytime I hear that music, uh, you got, guys, you got two new kids on the block songs in this film. You got Hanging Tough and The Right Stuff, both in there. You got Live by the Groove. You got all these music, the score with the pan flute, kind of karate kid-esque. 
it hits me right in my feels and I'm so on board with this that it's insane. So you already know what you're going to get from me. It's two power gloves in the air. Oh, absolutely. For me too, my friend. And you mentioned the pan flute there, that karate kid feel. And I mean, just all the games you see in this and a lot of people, like I've mentioned before, say that this is a 90 minute advertisement for Nintendo and just you going off there on the DVD, on the Blu-ray that's come out and, and the art on it and, and everything that you've said about this film, I feel like this is however long this podcast is going to be, 30, 40-minute podcast. Uh, it's a 30, 40-minute advertisement for the Blu-ray that's come out for this film. Huge fans, two power gloves up. For all the games you see, the nostalgia feelings, the adventure, the whole premise, just traveling around the country, all these great places. Reno, the mountains, Universal Studios, the desert, this great adventure from these little kids. Seeing that giant world in Super Mario 3 will be etched in my memory for all of time. I mean, you've got Fred Savage, one of my favorite actors. So this is a great film. I hope you go see it if you haven't. And if you have seen it, but it's been a while, get the Blu-ray, sit down, watch it, and then listen to this again and just go back through all the nostalgia, great feelings. I'll tell you what, if you like what we're doing, definitely hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. Um, we always appreciate the feedback, so, you know, any, if there's a movie you want us to review, a show you want us to review, please uh, send us an email at info at ignitroentertainment.com. We always appreciate the feedback, so leave us a five-star rating. always helps what we're doing. we got a lot more movies. we got Karate Kid coming up with uh, Ron Thomas, uh, one of the Cobra Kai from the film. We've got uh, Field of Dreams coming up, baseball season. Oh, it would be here. It's not, thanks to COVID-19, but we got your back because we got... Uh, Field of Dreams coming up. We're going to be doing it with Dwyer Brown, who played um, the catcher, uh, Ray's dad, uh, in uh, Field of Dreams. So a lot more coming up. Uh, will summer school happen? I don't know. But we got that film as well with Dean Cameron, Chainsaw, from the movie Summer School 1987. Noah, it's going to be Nostalgia Overload coming up. So thank you for joining us here on Say by Nostalgia.